0: My name is Rick, and one of the pastors here. How are we today? All right. Awesome, awesome. Well, we'll be in Hebrews 6, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to there. Hebrews 6, Um, while you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How long would you wait for somebody to do what they said they would do? How long would you wait for somebody to do what they said they'd do to... Do live up to a promise uh, whenever I think of this question, I first think of how long Christy is my wife is going to wait for me to hang up some pictures in our house that I said that I would do, and um, well apparently she 's going to keep waiting longer because uh, I still haven 't done it I 'm um, probably not going to do it this week. but um, the other thing that I think of is Pam Beasley from the office on uh, that, that show. Um, and in the, off, or in the, in the show, uh, Pam, she's engaged to Roy, who works down in the warehouse. And Roy said, hey, I'm going to marry you. You know, I'm going to marry Pam. But he never sets a date for the wedding. And he just kind of keeps refusing to do it, keeps putting it off. And they've been engaged, I mean, two, three years, and they still don't have a date for it. She just keeps waiting for him to do what he said he would do. And now if you've watched The Office you know that this is just a bad idea for Pam. You're like, stop waiting. Roy, Roy's a loser. Roy, you know, Roy, you're, you, you watch Roy's character and you're just like, Roy isn't really that committed to you, Pam. He, he's really about himself. He's very selfish. And he's not going to really ever follow through with Mary and he's just gonna keep putting it off. And so the question is, is how can you know if you can really trust someone? Or more importantly, how can you know that you can really trust God, that He's going to do what He said He was going to do, and how do you how do you keep waiting for Him when you're in these really tough circumstances? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So Hebrews chapter six, we're going to start there, reading in verse thirteen. But before we do that, just you know, setting you up earlier in this chapter. The author had been warning his, the, the church, had been warning the readers that, hey, some of you really aren't followers of Jesus. You've been going to church, you've been doing kind of some of the right things, you kind of look like a Christian, but, but you're really not a Christian. That's why you just, you fell away, you've given up on Christ, you know, and you don't really have faith in, in, in Him. Uh, but to the believers, he's saying, hey, I want you to mature, I want you to, to grow up. Um, and and to, to leave kind of some of these elementary teachings that I've done or to take them with you and to mature. And he encourages them, hey, keep hanging on to Christ. You're, you're experiencing these tough times, but uh, be, keep hanging on to him. And in these verses earlier, he says, uh, in verse 12, he says, hey, I, want you, I don't want you to be sluggish. I don't want you to be lazy or apathetic, but I want you to keep enduring and to be imitate others who through faith, they waited and they kept trusting God. And so that's kind of what's leading us into um, verse 13. So he says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, see Abraham's the example here of, of who to imitate. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited obtained the promise. And so, first point, first observation is, is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And so, see, he, the author uses Abraham, one of these heroes of the faith, as, as this example of, of, hey, be patient, keep trusting God, keep following him. And, and God made this promise to Abraham in, in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15, he makes this promise to Abraham and he says, hey, I'm going to take you from where you live right now and I'm going to take you to a different place, a new land, and I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you uh, offspring and I'm going to multiply you and you'll become the father of many, father of many nations. And and when God makes this promise to Abraham, Abraham has no kids. So him being the father of many nations, that's kind of a stretch because he's the father of of not anyone. And God says, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm promised this. And do you know how long it was before, when God made the promise to Abraham, how long it was before Abraham became the father of any? That gap was 25 years. And so when, when, when we read here that, that Abraham waited patiently he waited 25 years, not to become the father of many, not to have you know, multiple kids and then they have grandkids. That was how long Abraham waited to become the father of one kid, one kid. And, and actually, even when this happens, I mean, Abraham is, is really old. Even his wife, who, Sarah, who's a little bit younger than him, she was 90 years old. And so, I mean, it's practically impossible for her to even give birth or to become pregnant. But yet God delivers on his promise there. And then after, after Isaac, his son, is born, he grows up uh, and, and he gets into his teenage years. And then God says, hey, I want you now to take this, this son of promise, the one that I've promised you, the one that I've, I'm going to actually continue to multiply you so that you could become the father of many, of many nations. I'm going to multiply you through Isaac. I want you to take this one kid that I've given you, and I actually want you to sacrifice him and offer him up to me. And, and so Abraham trusts God. He, he takes Isaac, and he, and he binds him, and he puts him on the altar, and he's about to, to sacrifice Isaac to God, and, and God stays his hand and says, hey, stop. I, I know that, that you trust me, that you are following me in this. And then again, he makes that promise. Say, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to multiply you. And in this, the author is using Abraham as this example. Abraham waited patiently for God to do what he said he would do, for him to become a father, for, for him to give him a kid. He, Abraham kept waiting, kept trusting God. But also, Abraham trusted God in a very trying circumstance. Abraham trusted God when God even told him, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Abraham kept trusting God. And this is this example to us. And he's saying, hey, be patient. Keep trusting God. Keep following God. Keep obeying. Even if it looks like following God is going to lead you into deeper tragedy because the church here, they're being persecuted for following God, for believing God. And he's saying, hey, if you keep actually following God, this is probably gonna lead you to further persecution, but keep hanging on. Keep following him. The, the days are probably not gonna get easier. They might even get more difficult. But his promise is, is that he will never leave you, he'll never forsake you. And know that God's promise is, is that maybe it's not gonna be better now, but it will be one day in eternity. So keep Following him. Be patient. And and for us, it's it's I know it's hard for us to be patient. Um, I mean, for for many of you, you know, you're doing all your Christmas shopping and hey, you're ordering things off of Amazon Prime and hey, it's supposed to be here in two days. And that took three days to ship from across the country to get to my front porch. How dare you take that long? Right? I mean, we we don't like waiting for if we get on our phone and we're loading a web page and we're just thinking, Oh gosh, this is taking a long time to just load this simple web page. Man, this must be Sprint or something. You know, it's just taking so long. I have Sprint. So I kind of know how that sometimes goes. Right? And we we just think that something's wrong because we don't like to wait. And we're 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 here here in a month. There'll be tons of people that'll start to go to the gym because they're thinking, hey, I'm gonna get in shape, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna lose some weight, I'm gonna eat healthy, whatever it is, and that's a great thing to do. But then in a few weeks, all those people that were at the gym in January, come February, they're not there anymore. Why? Because, man, I don't want to wait to lose weight. This is taking too long. I don't feel like, I don't, I'm not seeing the results as fast as I want to see them. It takes commitment to do this, and we live in this get-it-quick world. And so, what does it look like for us to be patient with God? What does that look like for us, Maybe it looks like consistently reading your Bible. I mean, maybe, maybe you've like, tried that and you're like, hey, I'm going to read God's Word. But you've, it's been a week or two and you're like, man, I still don't really understand this thing. Or man, I, just, I don't even know what, I'm, what I've really learned. I haven't noticed this big change or this big kind of epiphany moment that I've had. And I just say, hey, keep reading. Keep reading. Listening to God and, and know that, that keep trusting the promise of God that his word will not come back void, that it will work, that it's living, that it's active, that it's going to do something in your life. Maybe for you, being patient is something with your city group. Maybe you've been going for a while and you're like, man, I'm still not really super connected. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I, I haven't really been vulnerable to these other people in my group. They're not really being vulnerable and they're not really sharing something. But keep meeting together. Keep keep going to the city group. Keep keep trusting that God is going to work in his church, in your group. It takes a while. It takes time for people to start to really feel connected and to be vulnerable. Patience for you might be the circumstances that you're in right now. They're really tough. They're hard, but, but, but keep pressing. Keep leaning into Jesus. Keep knowing that, hey, he is with you in the middle of this. Your circumstances might not change, but know that when he says you, I will not leave you or forsake you, he means it. So keep being patient in that. Keep ge- be being generous. Keep giving. Keep following God. I've heard some people say, hey, I'm, I, I'm gonna, I tried Jesus and it didn't work. I don't really know exactly how you can try Jesus exactly, but usually when they say, hey, I tried Jesus and it didn't work is what they usually mean is, hey, I tried Jesus, but he didn't fix all my stuff. He didn't make my life happy quick enough. Didn't solve my problems. And the problem isn't that God took too long. The problem is is that you will only keep trying Jesus if he does what makes you happy and he fixes your circumstances. People give up on Jesus because they think that Jesus is only good for what he can offer them. And maybe you're thinking, well, hey, that's not me. But, but again, just think, how many times are you so quick to just say, hey, I prayed for a little bit and it didn't work? It didn't happen. Right? Be patient. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep begging God to do what he's, what he, what he's promised he would do, to keep working in someone's life, to keep working in your life. And the author, he, he's telling that to these people. Keep praying trusting, keep being patient. And I want you to notice he doesn't offer up a change of circumstances to help them keep going. Hey, you, he doesn't say, hey, keep trusting God because he's going to, you know, don't worry. He's going to make it better soon. Hey, he'll make all this go away. He doesn't give him that. He doesn't say, hey, keep trusting God because your best life is right now. Or hey, if you do this certain thing, if you kind of be good and, you know, uh, do this certain thing for God, then God will will change this and change your circumstances. He doesn't appeal to any of those things as a reason that we trust God because he's going to change it. And so how do we know? How do we know that we can trust God on his promises when we're in these circumstances? And so let's keep going. Verse 16. And he's talking about this, this promise that God made to Abraham, and he says, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. And so, so God made this promise to Abraham. He says, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. And then he, he he backs it up with an oath and by swearing on it. In the ancient world, people didn't, have, didn't sign contracts. They would make an oath, and they would appeal to someone of greater authority than them, saying, hey, th- th- this person that's more powerful than me will hold me accountable to it. Right? We kind of do the same thing with, with contracts today. We can't always trust people. Hey, are you really going to do what you say you're going to do? And so we sign these contracts. And if they don't do it, you know, it's kind of a way of like, hey, we're swearing by this and we're going to appeal to the courts or to the law to hold us accountable to this. But if we don't do what we are going to do, they're going to still hold us to, to our word. And so God here, there's no one higher than himself. There's no one of greater authority, of greater importance. And so God swears by himself. He makes the highest kind of the highest oath possible that he could. And so simply put, because God is doing this, if God says it, take it to the bank. He doesn't, he doesn't need someone else to help him follow through. He doesn't need a co-signer to make sure that he can make his payments, right? God is as dependable as it gets. He is the one that will make sure that it comes to pass. And then in verse 18, it says that God gives two unchangeable things. And this is in reference to his promise. God made a promise and then he backed it up with an oath. He reinforced the promise with the oath. Now, God doesn't need the oath. God doesn't need to swear by himself on his promise to make sure that it happens. So why does God actually even you know, swear by himself or give this oath in the first place? Because he already promised it. Why does he need that as well? And it says here, Verse 17, so that when God desired to show more convincingly, more convincingly, he, he wants to give Abraham or even the heirs of the promise, us, more confidence in him, that we're more convinced that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Not, not, not that we're going to, you know I mean, because Abraham's waiting 25 years, Man, you might start to doubt in those 25 years, is God really going to do what he said he, he's going to do? But God's saying, hey, nope, I made a promise and I made an oath on top of it just to convince you more that I'm going to do what I'm going to do. This is, he's pointing to, to his character that he is that trustworthy. And so how do we know that we can trust God? How do we know that we can trust God even in the midst of really tough circumstances, because of who God is, right? That is what the author appeals to. He says, keep trusting God, his promises, because it's God. Keep trusting God, not because he's going to fix all your circumstances, but keep trusting God and his promises because God's the one that promised you. It's God, his character. Our assurance doesn't come from how good we are, or even how much faith we have. Our assurance doesn't come because all the things around us are calm and nice. But it's the trustworthiness of God, Him, who He is, His character. And He gives us two characteristics of God. Hey, why can we trust God? Hey, because it's God, it's His character. And then He says there's two things. First, God doesn't change. God doesn't change. James 1.17 uh, that Mo read, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything around us changes. Everything around us varies. Nothing in life is really that consistent, right? One, one day things are going great, the next day not so much. One day, that person they said, "Man, I love you," but then a week later, they said they don't and they love someone else. Money, you look in your bank account, man, I have some money in there. That's awesome. Next day, where to it go? It's gone. I've overdrafted. Loved ones, they're here one day, and then they're not the next. Right? Life, life is changing. And not only do, does life change, our circumstances change, but we change. Right? We, we have mood swings, maybe seasons of depression. One day you, you have victory over sin, a struggle in your life, and then the next week, man, you fall into it really hard. And so in all of this, we know that the only thing that actually is reliable is that things aren't reliable. That that things are always going to change. But God doesn't change. He's he's unchanging. God's mood doesn't swing, His goodness doesn't change. God God is never swayed by popularity or by power or, or swayed by more votes. God can't be bought. He, does, he doesn't ever change his mind about you, about what he thinks about you. His love for you never decreases or comes to an end. He just keeps pursuing us, keeps moving towards us. The same God that that died on the cross for us is the same God we're serving today. He doesn't change. The same God that, that walked, the same spirit that that was with Jesus, filled the apostles, is the same spirit that fills us if we've trusted in him. He doesn't change. This is what Hebrews 13 says. It says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our inconsistent world, our inconsistent hearts, our fluctuating lives, we have the solid rock to stand on. The other characteristic is that God doesn't lie impossible for him to lie. And so when, when God makes a promise, we know he keeps it. Our, our word, our promises, they can be cheap. Or we, don't, we don't all keep our promises. We, we lie. Maybe we tell half-truths. We withhold the truth. We, we don't tell the full truth because, man, can somebody really handle it? Yes, you look great in that outfit. I haven't really told my wife that and lied, but she did look great in that outfit. Um, But we lie, I mean, we lie because we're ashamed because of what we've done. We don't want people to know. We don't want people to think bad about us, or we maybe exaggerate because, so somebody will think better about us. We lie because of pride, because of insecurity, we lie because of greed, selfishness, to get what we want, to avoid what we don't want. Our character even changes from day to day. We, 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 we all lie on some level. But God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He's so holy, so perfect. He never, he, he never acts out of selfishness or pride. God is never ashamed. He never exaggerates who he is so that you can like him more. His character prevents him from lying. And so we, we lie because of our character, but we also lie and we don't keep our promises because we don't always have the power to keep them. How many of you have sent a text in the past month or two and just said, hey, I'm going to be late? Right? And, and you, maybe you were late because, hey, that meeting ran a little bit longer. You were late because traffic. You were late maybe because you lost track of time. But the bottom line is, is you didn't do what you said you would do, be there at 12, because you are limited in power. You can't control everything. You can't control the traffic. And so even when it comes to something that simple, we can't keep all of our promises. We're only so capable. But, but God keeps every promise that he makes because he is fully capable, fully in control. He's never limited in his power. So we know that he will follow through this is what Numbers 23, 19 says. It says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, has he said anything and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will not fulfill it? And so God keeps his promises because he doesn't change. He, his unchangeable character and he cannot lie. I mean, this is amazing news for us. Because we live in this constantly changing world, we ourselves are constantly changing and failing at keeping our promises, but we have this good, amazing God that keeps all of his promises, that always follows through. So that's, let's keep going, verse 18. So we see that it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled, fled for refuge might have strong encouragement, to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So second point, second observation is Jesus is our anchor. Jesus is our anchor. And so, so here, God makes this promise to Abraham. And, and then he backs it up with an oath to convince him even more that, that he'll do what he said. And then um, here it says that, that he guarantee, or, uh and then it says, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible, God, to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. And so, in this, this even the readers or the author is telling his readers, God is showing this not just for Abraham's sake, but for your sake, so that you can have strong encouragement. God knows that it's going to be hard for you to keep trusting, to keep holding on to Him. You guys are being persecuted. Life is hard. God knows that, and he's actually trying to even just show you more of himself, more that he is trustworthy, more of his character, so that you will keep having encouragement to hold on to him. I mean, I love this about God. We see God's heart in all of this. God continually reveals himself to us over and over and over again so that we can see just how amazing he is. I mean, right here he's saying, hey, I'm showing you more of myself so that you can be encouraged to hang on. God shows us more of himself in that he died on a cross. We didn't ask him to do that. But God's saying, I want you to see of my amazing love and grace for you. I want you to see who I am. God shows us his power, his beauty in creation. God is just always showing us who he is. And here he's he's showing us more of who he is so that we can have encouragement. And, And here it says that we who have fled refuge... I mean, this is talking here about the, about the church. This church is, is kind of a refugee. I mean, they're in this land, and everybody's after them, persecuting them, they're against them. And he says, hey, you, I don't want you to flee to some other land. I want you to flee to God. God is your refuge. And for all of us, when times get tough, when we need encouragement, when we need hope, we flee to God. Uh, the, you know, this one time, we were actually at, at Mo's house for a meeting, as a staff, so there's 15 or 20 of us in, this, uh, in his living room, and we're all meeting there, and then Colleen and Misha walk in, and I can tell this is, this is taking Misha by surprise here. I mean, she's like two at the time, and it's like, whoa, 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 what everybody's doing in my living room, and Misha, you I mean, you could tell she, she's kind of scared. She's feeling uncomfortable in all of this, and her instinct, just, she just goes like this. She just keeps an eye on us, and she just reaches up for Colleen, and Colleen picks her up. Now, the circumstances didn't change. All of us are still in the living room. But Misha feels differently about the whole situation. Not because the circumstances change, but because she knows who's holding her in this scary situation. And that's what I want for all of us. I want our instinct. When anything in, in life is just going crazy, when anything feels unstable, doesn't feel safe, what do we do? God, hold me. God, pick me up. God, be with me. You're my refuge. You're my safe place. I'm coming to you. I'm running to you because you're the one thing that I know is absolutely safe and stable. Hold me in these scary situations. He's our refuge. And then it it keeps going. It kind of keeps talking about this idea, and it says that that we hold fast to the hope set before us. Verse 19, we have this, talking about, about Jesus, the finished work of Christ, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Right, The job of an anchor is to remain fixed regardless of the conditions at sea. And actually, when the, the conditions at sea are even rougher and crazier, that's even how much more important the stability of the anchor is, to keep the boat in, a, in the same place, to keep it safe, and to keep the boat from drifting. And we all need an anchor. Right? The world around us is crazy. Life gets hard. Where do you go when times get tough? When you start feeling the pressure of life, what do you run to? What are you holding on to for that stability? I think for many of us, we actually look to escape it. We start to feel pressure and we want to escape it. Maybe you turn to TV just to check out, hours and hours of video games. Maybe you turn to food, alcohol, maybe it's pornography not just talking to the guys there. Maybe that's what you turn to as, as some sort of feeling of stability in your life. Maybe, maybe it's not something that you could even just label as, as so bad. Maybe you turn to work. Hey, I'm just gonna kind of keep doing, kind of keep doing my job. Maybe you turn to someone, some person. Some sort of, maybe just turn to something, anything is just some sort of way to kind of cut yourself off from reality, from the pressure of life. But, but nothing is as reliable and stable as God, right? He, he's our anchor. He's our hope. He is the one that will help us weather all of these storms, all of the pressures in life. I'm not saying again, he'll take them away, but God is with us. He is our anchor. And it says that, that he is our anchor and he is our hope, the back part of 19, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And, and here it's, it's talking about uh, the holy place, the, the holy of holies that was in the temple. And in, in the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant and this represented the presence of God. And then there was this this big veil, this thick curtain that separated God from the rest of the people, and it was, hey, you can't go in there because of your sin. God is so holy. He's so good. You can't go in there because you're not like God. And here it's saying, God, Jesus is your anchor because he is the one that went before you, was your forerunner behind, and went behind the curtain, on your behalf, by dying for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price, offered himself as a sacrifice for us, paid the price for our sin completely. And so our anchor is Jesus, the finished work of Christ, that he died, paid the price for our sin, and rose again. And so what that means is that our anchor isn't how well you act this week. It isn't just trying to keep your life together. It isn't the amount of faith that you can muster up. It isn't your church attendance. It isn't your own character and goodness. And this is good news because we constantly drift. We wander off. We're unfaithful to God. We continue to sin. We continue to struggle. We have doubts. But our anchor isn't this subjective confidence, but the sure objective reality that Jesus died and rose again. That's our anchor, that he paid the price for our sin and that he is always faithful, always trustworthy, and deliver on his promises. And so is that true of you today? Is Jesus really your refuge? Is he really your anchor in your life? I mean, some of you, you mentally agree with this stuff. Yeah, hey, Jesus was real. I bet he died on the cross. Maybe he, maybe he did some of those things. But that's kind of all it is for you is this mental ascension, this mental agreement. But Jesus is really not the anchor of your soul because you're really not trusting him with everything. You're not really trusting him with your salvation. You think, hey, yeah, I guess it's Jesus, but it's still me. I still play a part in this because I'm still a good person or because I don't do these really bad things that's not it. It's not you and Jesus. Jesus is the only anchor, the only refuge that we can run to. I mean, maybe for some of you, you know Jesus is not your anchor. You're like, hey, I'm not trusting in Jesus. I'm not, I'm not even sure what all I think about this whole Jesus thing and him paying the price for my sin in the first place. And so so wherever you're at, maybe you've trusted in Christ and you've been walking with him a long time. Maybe you're kind of trusting Christ and and yourself and maybe you're like, hey, I know that I'm not trusting Christ. Wherever you're at, I just want it to be very clear to you. No one else can save you from your sin. No one. It is Christ alone. Christ alone alone saves us. This isn't clean yourself up or, hey, kind of be good enough. Then God will like you. Then God will save you. You can't earn your way to God. Our confidence isn't in ourselves, but it is in what Jesus alone has done for us. So trust in him. Trust in him for your salvation. And in this passage, we see these promises of God that that to those who trust him, he promises us ultimate blessing forever and ever with God in eternity, that he promises us that we're forgiven or accepted, that we're purified, that we're glorified, that we have joy in him, that we'll triumph over our enemies of sin, guilt, shame, and hell and Satan. And so in all of this, that we see these promises of God, we see who God is, we all have to answer one question do you really believe that God tells the truth? In your life today, do you believe that God is really telling you the truth? I mean, some of you, maybe you feel like God's been ripping you off lately because of your circumstances. And you're just thinking, hey God, this shouldn't be happening to me. I don't deserve this. I've been good. I've been behaving. I've been a good little Christian. I've been a good little follower of you. And because, God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, now you need to do what you're supposed to do and change this for me. And you feel like God just kind of owes you. Because life is hard right now. And Maybe you wouldn't call God a liar, but you just don't think he really tells the truth. You've behaved right, and God... God better now treat you right. I mean, do do, do you really be, I mean, in that you're just saying, "Hey, you're you're. Do you really believe that God tells you the truth, and that hey, it's not about you behaving right so that you get what you want? That's your circumstances aren't the treasure. I'm the treasure. Do you really believe that God is telling you the truth when He says that? J- J- Jesus isn't lying. When he says that eternal life, real life is to know God and the one you've sent, Jesus. God's word isn't lying when, when Paul says that he considers everything just garbage to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus His Lord. Right? Do you, do you believe that God is telling you the truth, that the most wonderful, amazing thing for you right now today is to know him, to know Jesus? And if so, do you... Does your life reflect that? Are you you actually trying to pursue Jesus more in a closer relationship? By, By reading his word, listening to God, by praying, having this conversation with God, by being with God's people and just helping encourage each other in Christ so that you can know God. Do you believe that God is telling you the truth when he says, in my presence, me, that's the fullness of joy, he isn't lying when he says that. Do you believe that God is telling you the truth that he will provide for you? Or that it's actually better for you to give than to receive? If so, does your life reflect that? I mean, do you, do you give generously? Do you give joyfully? Right, your bank account, your checkbook will be a great indicator on if you believe if God is telling you the truth in that, if you're trusting him. I mean, this is what Hebrews 13, 5 says. It says, Keep your life free from money and be content with what you have. For he, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God isn't lying when he says that. He is better than money. God isn't lying when he says it's blessed for you to give than to receive because he knows you're going to actually be more happy, more fulfilled when you are giving of yourself, giving of your resources because you're not trusting in those things, you're trusting in him. That you're not living for the things of this world, but you're living for him. That you're okay, my stuff, my bank account doesn't own me. God, his kingdom is totally what I'm living for. God knows that the best investment of your life, of your money, isn't the things of this world, isn't a house, isn't you know a 401k plan, any of those things. Because he says, hey, Don't store up treasures for yourself on this earth. They will fade, moth and rust. They will destroy these things. They'll be gone. But store up yourself treasures in heaven where they will not fade. They will not be taken away. Is God telling the truth when he says that? That The best thing for you to invest in, the best thing for you to give to is the kingdom of God. Do you believe that God is telling you the truth when he says that he loves you? Do you believe God is telling you the truth when he says, there is nothing, nothing that you can do to make me love you more? And there's nothing that you have done, there's nothing in your past that you have done that will make me love you less. Do you believe that he's telling you the truth? He says, I demonstrated, I showed you my love, how much I love for you when I died for you while you were still a sinner. Not when you were at your best, but when you were at your worst. I died for you. That's how much I love you. Do you believe that your salvation is secure in the promises of God because of what Jesus has done for you? And in John 10, 28, it's one of my favorite promises. Jesus says, I will give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. Not because you've had a bad week. Not because you're not acting perfectly. The devil can't snatch you from my hand. The powers of this world can't snatch you from my hand. You can't be bad enough to snatch you from my hand. I am holding you. You are saved because I've saved you. And in, in Jesus, if, if we've trusted in him, these, just this glimpse of the promises that we have in him, we, we're promised forgiveness, we're promised love, a relationship with God, we're promised eternal life, we're promised that God will provide, that Jesus will come back. That he'll make everything right. Jesus promises that he is with us, that he paid the price for our sin, that we're promised that we can confidently, freely go into the presence of God, that he is the source of joy and life. And I just want you to know in all these promises that are yes and amen in Jesus, know that he isn't lying. God cannot lie, he doesn't change. He's the one that, he's our anchor and he's the one that we are holding fast to. And so whatever's going on in life, be patient and just keep holding on. Keep trusting God because he is so faithful. And today we, we get to celebrate communion together as a family, just be reminded of the goodness, the faithfulness, the promises that we have in Jesus. This, this bread represents his body that was broken for us, that was crucified for us. The, the, the juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And we are hanging on to Christ, our Savior, the one who died for us, the one who paid the price for sin in full. We are holding on to Him. And today, I'm going to pray, and then and, uh, we'll have some people up here that will be serving communion. So just, you know, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, uh, we just invite you to come and just to, to take uh, this bread and dip it in this juice to just celebrate what a faithful God and Savior that we have in Jesus. So let me pray. Thank <laughs>